Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to read verses 1 to 15, and then 25 to 28. So we're going to skip a bit in the middle there. So Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 to 15, and then 25 to 28. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay you shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards his brothers talked with him. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray at the start. Heavenly Father, be with me as I try to explain this passage. Be with us all, because we know that only through your Spirit can we understand your Word and believe um, in your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please do keep your Bibles open with you. Um, if you've got a Bible, if you've not got a Bible, you've got a phone, you can search Genesis 45. You should be able to get the passage up. Um, and over summer at Christchurch Bulldog, we've been looking at the story of Joseph. 
And some of you probably haven't been around, some of you have been various holidays, I haven't been around much, some of you are just visiting today. So we've already had a video summary of that story, but just to recap, you may have seen the musical, it's a pretty good rendition of the story, but um, if we get the, uh, let's get this, if we get some pictures up, just help us explain the story. Here, go to the next slide. Cool, so yeah, at the beginning of the story, Joseph is a 17-year-old boy, um, and his brothers hate him because his, his father favoritises him, he gives him this famous technicolour coat. So one day, his brothers decide to kill him, so they throw him in a pit and they're about to kill him, but when they see this band of traders coming along, they decide, well actually we can make some money off him instead, so we'll just sell him into slavery. So they do, they sell him into slavery, and he goes to Egypt, where eventually he gets accused of a crime he didn't commit, if we have the next slide, he ends up in prison for years. But eventually, Pharaoh um, has these these dreams that he doesn't understand, and I've skipped over this part of the story, but it's well known that Joseph, through God, was able to interpret dreams. So Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, we have the next slide, and jo Joseph tells Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of plenty, plentiful harvest, there's going to be loads of food on the shelves, but after that seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine, where no one's going to have enough to eat. So Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the whole of Egypt, so over that seven year period, they can gather enough grain uh, to feed everyone when the seven hard years come. So the seven hard years do come, and eventually Joseph's brothers, who sold him into slavery and think he's dead now because of them, come to Egypt because it's the only place where there's any food. So, yeah, there they are, they're walking on their way to Egypt. And here we get to this story where we are today. So there's lots of drama with Joseph's brothers, but eventually he reveals himself to them. They didn't recognise him because they assumed he was dead, not effectively prime minister over the whole of Egypt. But here he reveals himself to them and tells them about God's plan for everything that had happened. So we're going to be looking at this passage from Genesis 45. And we're going to be looking at it through the lens of something Joseph says to his brothers a few chapters later. So don't worry about going there, but I'm going to flip forward to Genesis 50. I think if we go to the next slide, have it on the screen. Joseph says this to his brothers to explain everything that's happened. He says, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So we're going to look at this verse, and we're going to look at this passage in Genesis 45, through this verse, to see three things that um, we learn about God, um, and, and we see in the story of Jesus, um, Joseph, that tell us about God. We're going to see that God has a plan. We're going to see that Joseph's brothers also had a plan. But that God had a plan for Joseph's brother's plan. So firstly, we're going to see that God had a plan. God's plan. There was a reason that Joseph had ended up as the Prime Minister of Egypt. So we go back to the next slide. We'll see the end of this verse we're looking at. That God had done this for the saving of many lives. If you've got your Bibles open, look down into Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Joseph tells his brothers, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Then look at verse 7. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. And that's exactly what happened. The whole region was in this devastating famine, and through Joseph, through what God was doing with Joseph, Everyone was able to live. People could survive. They had enough food to eat. God had told Joseph that the famine was coming. And so through Joseph, saved 
many lives, and perhaps most importantly, not just many lives, but specifically the lives of Joseph's brothers. Look back at verse 7 again. God sent me ahead of you to save your lives. To save your lives. These were not nice people. These were pretty nasty people, actually. They sold their brother into slavery. And if you read the rest of Genesis, you'll see some other pretty horrendous things that they did. God's plan isn't like saving Private Ryan. It's more like, if you've read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, when Harry Potter saves Draco Malfoy, even though he's trying to kill him. Or in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, when Aslan saves Edmund, who betrayed his entire family, uh, and Aslan too. No, God's plan was to save people who didn't deserve to be saved. Now, Joseph's story is fairly close to the beginning of the Bible, but as you read through the Bible, you see that this is what God is doing all the way through. If we get to the next slide, oh, and the next one along, there's Joseph. This is what the, uh, the king of Israel, David, says in a song he wrote in Psalm 68. He says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Saviour, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the Sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Well, it was great to have Joshua being dedicated this morning. And I think Joshua probably has the best name you can ever imagine. Because Joshua's name means God is salvation. And it reminds us that our God is a God who saves, just like David said. And time and again in the Bible, we see that God's plan is always to save people who don't deserve to be saved. He saved Joseph's family from famine, even though they'd sold him into slavery. A few hundred years later after this... We get the Exodus, when descendants of Joseph's family were, there were hundreds of thousands of them at this point, all living in Egypt, and God saved them from slavery. The Pharaoh at that time had put them into slavery and was trying to kill all their children. God saved them from slavery, even though they rejected God and worshipped other gods instead. And he also saved them when he brought them out of Egypt from mighty armies uh, facing them in the land that he had given them, even though they kept on not trusting him, kept on rebelling against him. And most importantly, the plan that all these other plans point to, God sent Jesus to save us. Just like Joseph's family and Joseph's descendants. We don't trust God as we should. We live in ways he doesn't want us to live. We do things and say things we know we shouldn't do. And whether or not we call ourselves religious, we all worship things other than God. See, Joseph's brothers deserved nothing from God, but he saved him from famine through Joseph. And if you look back at the passage, verse, uh, chapter 45, verse 18, we didn't read this bit, um, but you can see that through Pharaoh, God gave them the best of the land of Egypt. He says, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Not just that he saved them, but he blessed them greatly. We too, we deserve nothing from God. But judgment, the judgment of a good and just king on treacherous rebels. And yet it's people like Joseph's brothers, people like us, that Jesus came to save. So that if we come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, acknowledging that we deserve nothing from him, he will not only spare us from the judgment we deserve, but will give us so much more. Eternal life, joy. Peace as God's beloved children, not as enemies, living with him forever. We have the next slide. Jesus says this in the Gospel of John. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what God offers us in Jesus, life to the full. So God had a plan to save many lives through Joseph. And that points us to God's biggest plan, to save many lives through Jesus. The lives of people who don't deserve it, like you and me. So God had a plan to save many lives through Joseph. But as we've gone through the story of Joseph, we've seen that the brothers also had a plan. So if we have the next slide. There we go. The brothers had a plan. Um, originally, they planned to kill him. They then just settled for selling him to, into slavery um, when they realised they could get some money. So that's what they did. That's why they, when they realised who Joseph is, in verse 3 of this passage, if you have a look, they were terrified. What's he going to do to them? They thought Joseph was dead and they thought they were responsible. So if we look back at this verse, Genesis 50 verse 20 on the next slide again, we see the beginning of it says, Joseph tells his brothers, you intended to harm me. That was their plan. On the face of it, Joseph's brother's plan is a huge obstacle to God's plan. God's plan to use Joseph to save many people, his brother's plan to harm him, to get him out of the way. The question this story brings up is, how did God deal with that? Well, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the show Total Wipeout. If you have the next slide, this will give you an idea of what it's like if you've not seen it. I used to absolutely love it. Contestants take turns going over these crazy obstacles, and most of the time they get a few metres in before being absolutely wiped out by some sort of swinging bar, or they miscalculate a jump, and they, uh, they do this sort of thing. But every so often, if we have the next slide, you get some guy, maybe some ex-athlete, who comes along, he's just brilliant, he just jumps over all these obstacles and gets to the finish line. And the question we've got to ask is, is that how God dealt with Joseph's brother's plan? Or with any other things that look like obstacles in the way of God's plans? Is God just very good at jumping over gaps and ducking under swinging bars? Did God see Joseph's brother's plan to harm him and think, well that could be a problem, let's see how I can get around that. Or to use another example, if we have the next slide. Um, this is a very, very good chess play, he's almost unbeatable. Is God just like this guy? He's just very good at anticipating what his opponent's next move is going to be. God sees Joseph's brother's move to try and take the king, so he outmaneuvers his knight to, uh, to stop them. Is that how God deals with all the opposition and apparent obstacles to his plans in the Bible? It, there are lots of them. So if we think back to the Exodus again, when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt, God had promised Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation. But then they find themselves in slavery. Is God just very good at outmaneuvering that plan of Pharaoh's to get around that obstacle to bring them back out of Egypt? Or maybe he just got lucky? Or when the vast Assyrian army was laying siege to the city of Jerusalem, God's city, was God just clever enough to outmaneuver the Assyrians? Or when Jesus came, the king who God had promised would save his people? Had God anticipated that Judas would betray him, like Joseph's brothers had, or that his own people would execute him? Was that an obstacle to God's plan that he had to just find a clever way around? Just like Joseph's brothers planned to harm Joseph, all through the Bible, things look like obstacles to God's plans spring up. Other people with plans of their own. 
But the amazing truth that the story of Joseph teaches us is that God is not like the total wipeout champion or like an excellent chess player. No, God is completely in control of everything. So if we have the next verse, the next slide, let's yeah, look back at this verse. So at the beginning of it says, you intended to harm me, Joseph says to his brothers, but God intended it for good. You see, God had a plan for the brother's plan. We have the next slide. Joseph's brother's plan was to harm Joseph, selling him into slavery. But it wasn't an obstacle to God's plan that he just had to get around in order to save people. It was always God's intention that Joseph's brothers would sell him into slavery. Let's put look back at the passage we've been reading, Genesis 45. Look at verse 5. And think about who is it that sent Joseph to Egypt? Is it his brothers selling him, or is it God? And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling him here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then verse 7, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve your remnant and to save your lives. And then verse 8, you get it most clearly. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. God was in complete control of events. Joseph's brother selling him into slavery wasn't an obstacle in God's plan. It was the means by which God accomplished his plan. It was through being sold into slavery that God brought Joseph to Egypt. And then in verse 9, we see God made him lord of all Egypt. Pharaoh didn't make him lord. God made him lord of all Egypt. If we go back to this verse on the next slide. Yeah. The brothers meant to harm Joseph, but God meant their harm for good, to bring about the saving of many lives. And we see this is the case with all God's plans in the Bible. With all the apparent obstacles, we see the exact same thing. There is no such thing as an obstacle to God's plans. All apparent obstacles are actually intended parts of the plan. So if we think about the Exodus again, when Pharaoh was enslaving God's people and refusing, them to let, let, refusing to let them leave, the Bible tells us numerous times that it was all part of God's plan to show not just his people, but also the Egyptians who God really was. So if we have the next slide. God says this to Pharaoh in Exodus 9, verse 16. He says, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It was God who raised up Pharaoh for the purpose of not letting his people go, so that God could show them who he was. Just like Joseph's brothers mistreating Joseph, Pharaoh mistreating God's people was not an obstacle to God's plan. Pharaoh meant it for harm. God meant it for good. Well, let's think again about the Assyrians, who were the largest army in the world at the time, who laid siege to Jerusalem after conquering a number of other nations. This is what God says in the next slide um, to the king of Assyria in Isaiah 10. God says, I send him, the king of Assyria, against a godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me. But this is not what he intends, the king of Assyria. This is not what the king of Assyria has in mind. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. The Assyrian king had one plan, a sinful and boastful plan to destroy, to make an end to many nations. 
But that was all part of God's good and just plan to bring judgment on godless nations. So when Assyria came to the walls of Jerusalem, God wasn't sitting there calculating his next move. He'd been in control of the Assyrian army the whole time. He just sent them away. And then most importantly, Jesus' death. Judas betraying Jesus. The religious leaders handing him over to be crucified. Pilate refusing to release him. None of those things were obstacles to God's plan. They were all part of the plan. In the Gospel of John again, Jesus says this. In the next slide. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus is God. He was and still is and always will be in full control. Judas and the others involved in Jesus' death had intended to harm him and would be held responsible for their evil intentions should they not turn to Jesus for forgiveness. But Jesus was ultimately in control. God intended their evil plans for good, for the saving of many lives, just like with Joseph. Because only through dying could God save us from the judgment we deserve. The death of a perfect man, the perfect sacrifice, the only person ever to have lived not to deserve judgment. Dying as a rebel in our place so that we can live. See, nothing is outside of God's control. Not Joseph's brother's plan to sell him into slavery. Not the later Egyptians, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's attempts to make all God's people into slaves again. Not the Assyrians' plan to destroy Judah. And not Judas's plans to have Jesus killed. It was all part of God's plan to save his people. So let's look one more time at this verse we've been looking at. This verse, talking about the story of Joseph, really helps us to get to grips with a lot of stuff that happens in the Bible, all of God's plans. You meant, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So if we're trusting in Jesus, the story of Joseph can be a huge encouragement to us. The suffering we go through, whatever that might be, whatever trials we might be facing, whatever opposition we might come up against, they're not obstacles that God has to get around. There's never going to be something that maybe it's just too big for God to work out what to do with. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, if we have on the next slide, um, Paul says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God works in all things. And not just working in all things, he works in all things for the good of those who love him. Whether trouble or hardship or persecution or famine like Joseph or danger or even death. God is in control. God is working to bring about his plan, to bring you safely home, to live with him forever. And if you're not trusting in Jesus, I'm afraid to say that what Paul says here is not true of you. But it can be. If God was willing, and more than willing, delighted to save Joseph's treacherous brothers, even though they had sold him into slavery, then of course he can save you. No matter what you've done or how you've treated him, he is the God who saves rebels. 
We're going to finish now, and I'm just going to finish by reading from one of my favourite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah 46, where God reminds us rebels who he is. He reminds us that he is in control of all things, and he reminds us that despite our rebellion, he will save his people. So why don't we all just reflect as I read on who God is. If you've not thought about it before, just read these verses and think about the God that we at Christ Church believe in. <coughs> Here we go. Remember this. This is God speaking. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfil my purpose. What I have done, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendour to Israel. Let me pray. Lord, you are God, and there is no one other. There is none like you. Everything you plan to do, you do. Lord, thank you that even though we are stubborn-hearted rebels, who are by nature far from your righteousness, you bring your righteousness near, and you offer salvation to us. Lord, I pray for anyone among us here that doesn't know you, who is still rebelling against you. I pray that they would acknowledge you, and that you would bring your righteousness and your salvation here to them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.